The third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon goes all musical. And we're here with creator, executive producer, director, and writer Amy Sherman Palladino and executive producer, director, writer Daniel Palladino to talk all about it on Fruit Call. So tell me about um, where you wanted to go in season three. To me, I start watching this and it's musical, musical, musical. <laughs> we start off with uh, Midge's performance before before the troops. And then there's great things such as the crazy in love uh, Miami scene when she goes out on a date with Lenny Bruce. And there's there's also this great, um, there's a water folly. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, come on. We're not animals. Yeah, I mean, but I the, mean, you know, we, we, we set up at the end of season two. We knew, we, we wanted her in season three to be swept up as a, as a part, as a tiny part of, and a, a, a huge observer of like a bigger, a big stars, a big hot young stars journey. We wanted her to to, to we experience her to really close see stuff. fame, like yeah. really see fame, and 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 suffer the effects of fame too. And that was always sort of our intention. Um, and we did that through Shy Baldwin, who's uh, who's obviously a singer, you know, kind of a, a kind of a, a mishmash of a bunch of singers of the time. Um, and and we, yeah, we just wanted her swept up into like a a, a, a whirlwind of what could be for her, but she obviously was a tiny part of it. And it became so musical because he was musical and we certainly liked music. So it gave us a chance to also show uh, a lot of different kinds of performance, um, including we just at the last second thought, how about, a, how about a USO show, which also gave us this giant, literally a giant platform for a lot of different kinds of Music, entertainment, comedy, etc. We, you know, we we we've always viewed the show a, weirdly a little bit like a musical. Anyhow, it's got it's got a it's got a musical rhythm to it. It's got um, a, a, a heightened beauty in the costumes and the and, and everything moves. You know, like it's very important that that Midge and Midge is never she's never walks down the street. She always sort of even bounces down the street if she if she goes down the street. And and, and because of that. Um, when when we were sending her out on on uh, tour with Shy, it it allowed us to indulge in our inner MGM Gene Kelly Arthur Freed moments and uh, and just uh, you know it allowed it to be because everything in the show goes through Midge's point of view and goes through her eyes and and the entry point into every story and discovering the world as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger is through Mitch as she discovers it's bigger and bigger and bigger. And because of that, you know, everything is an adventure for her. And this, and it, it's sort of that, that rush of, of like, and we're off sort of feel it lent itself to um, diving into music in this sort of way. And then because like Dan said, because we had this great shy Baldwin character, you know, voiced by Darius DeHaas who did all this unbelievable singing and Roy, who gave this magnificent performance um, as this very um, multi-layered kind of guy who becomes both friend and foe, 
in, in the same uh, series of, of, of adventures, it just, it, it, you wanted to be there. You wanted to have that music, that background and, and, and feel like she felt, you know, that this was a wonderful extravaganza until the real life starts to creep in and she starts to really, her eyes open a little bit into the ways of the world. And it just, it just sort of, it brought us there. Now, when I, this show is perfection to me. Um, not, not only everything. That's why from, we love you. From the production design, to the jokes, to the evolution of the story, to the themes. And um, if you don't mind, we pull the curtain back a little. How long does it take to crack a season as, as in terms of writing and in particular this season, season three, like how long does it take to crack the season? How long does it take to crack the episode from a writing perspective? Well, we're, you know, we're very, very different from most writing staffs um, because we, we're we a- We wake up together. Because we wake up together. <laughs> so, and our, you know, our, Story breaking starts a little our, earlier. And our pillow talk is often about Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> yes, it's, it's so, uh, disturbing on many levels. And Kevin Pollack. Yes, mean, which we, is, you know. The last thing I think about at night is Tony Shalhoub, and the first thing I think about in the morning is Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. No, but, but you know, we, you know we, we take breaks. We're people who like our breaks, but our, our, like when we're on a break, when we're walking down a street in New York, or if we're on, on overseas, which is something that we used to do back in the old days, um, both, both of those are things we did yeah, back in the old days. <laughs> you know, like an idea will occur to us. So we're constantly making iPhone notes. I, I always have a ton of iPhone notes. And so it, it, it's hard to say like, because a lot of writing staff say like, okay, we're going to start on May 15th. And that's when we start coming up with stuff. And then they spend eight, 10 weeks coming up with the season. Well, for us, we often come into the room with our writers for better or for worse, but only because we, we talk a lot and we have a lot of ideas. We come in with a lot of like broad thoughts, some stuff already on cards, some stuff worked out in, in some detail, but generally like broad strokes that we know basically what a season is going to be. And then with the group, we start hammering away at the details. So we're doing that now, actually. We're doing some intermittent Zoom writer rooms. Most, most of our, uh, our seasons, you know, pre- put a mask on and cry in the corner. Um, we're broken walking from one theater, movie theater to another. Because sometimes we'd see two movies a day on a weekend and we'd see one movie which would spark something or we'd start, th- if it was boring, we'd start thinking about Tony Chaloub, which is apparently what we do. Yeah, I just can't stop Yeah, I know, it's, we're gonna get you help. Yeah. And then we would walk from that movie theater to another the movie theater and we'd suddenly be bantering back and forth and think about uh, what it could be and wh- what journey she could go on. And I think, you know, for us, because we also direct um, so many of the episodes, it's kind of inherent on us to walk in the room that first day with the map. Because if we don't walk in with the map, if we walk in clean and we say, let's sit down and come with a map, you know, the first thing you do for the first day is you talk about where everybody's been and how are your kids and, you know, wow, your hair looks different, and was that really your face? Because you look different last time. You know, it's like, there's a lot of that bullshit that goes on, and then you get to work. So, but we actually don't have that kind of time because a lot of our 
pre-production is going to be eaten up by prepping the shows and, and, you know, location scouts and talks about sets and, you know, uh, things like that, that, you know, it eats into our story breaking time. So we sort of feel like we need to jumpstart the process when we walk in the door and sort of, you know, say, here's our, here's our train and here's our, here's our endpoint. Now let's all figure out how to get there. And so that's right, right now where- And our group, our group catches up quick. We've, yeah. had, we've had several people We have over a small before. group of, of like-minded thinkers who are, um, understand that, you know, we don't eat, eat in the room <laughs> and, and that we have to break these stories very quickly actually, because it's very, um, we have a lot of detail that goes into each story and we need to get that detail to production because our productions are very big. And the sooner that they have the information about what sets are going to be where and who's going to be wearing what, how many exes, you know, the, the USO thing was, you know, it, it became what it became because we were trying to figure out simply how to shoot it in the amount of days that we had. And initially we thought we were going to be tiling, which is the special effects to make all the boys you know, you start off with 15 boys and suddenly there are 850 boys, but you need time to do that and you need days to do that. And we simply did not have the days out at this place to do it. And it became, hey, how about anybody with a green t-shirt, come on down. And we, yes, 850 extras feels terrifying and like a lot, but, but in the end, it allowed us to cut a day that we would have had to be there shooting special effects from that location. And, and it allowed you know, me to do a couple of shots that I wanted to do that I couldn't do with special effects. I couldn't do that whole one-er from the, from the Jeep to her walking up on stage to seeing the boys to her walking up off stage if I had to do it um, with special effects because it has to be the same every time and you need a remote, you know, you need a special equipment. And I needed the freedom of the Steadicam to be able to be freer with it. So it, it, but that all came because we were simply so far in advance talking about USO, 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 USO. And that's why I think our story breaking process was maybe a little bit more terrifying at the very beginning, but um, we feel like it's our job to like come in and make sure that there's enough at the very of day one that even production has something to think about. Now, um, you know, you, you, we end on a note with, of a great turning point. After this great boom for her and for Susie, they're on the outs. Uh, she's not on the shy tour. Um, you know, uh, you know, Susie, Susie has spent uh, some portion, we don't know how much of her, her savings. It's a great down point. It's a great turning point. Was that always where you were driving toward or was there another option for an ending? Essentially what I'm getting to is your whole inspiration for her to sink at the, for Midge to sink at the Apollo. We, we, I, we always had in mind that this year she was going to learn what a show business friendship means and that is Air quotes. nothing. Friendship. And that is pretty much nothing. 
it's it, 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 there, there's a lot of friendships and in fact you you still hear most stars talking about my friend this my friend that and if you think about it, it's like how can you be friends with five thousand other actors yeah. and directors and people like that it, it, it was supposed to she went in trusting she went in feeling like she had a safe harbor and i think everyone who has worked in in this in this business as a creative of some sort had discovered the hard lesson one day of you they they aren't real friendships you can be fr you can be you're, you you could be friendly with people and you could have true friendships but don't confuse don't confuse the two because it's still a cutthroat business it's run by money it's run by ego and she ran into the she she ran into this problem with shy it was always where we knew she she was going to end up which is a kind of abandoned abandoned on a tarmac with a and 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 you'll see that it's going to spin her into a new attitude in season 4 you know every journey that midge takes is a learning experience because she unlike people who from their first you know moment breath think i want to be in show business i want to be a star she didn't have that you know she she came to this late so she doesn't really didn't really know anything about the business at all when she jumped into it and this was the year we really wanted her to to, to learn that lesson and we tend to again this goes back to our crazy story breaking and walking from one movie theater to the other one of the first things that we do um is we've wanted we kind of figure out where we want to end like what where do we want to emotionally it doesn't mean that we figure out like the exact like place and dialogue or everything but we like to know emotionally journey wise where do we want this person to end and this person <laughs> means mitch you know i mean we do it with all of our characters but we start with mitch um and once we figured out we wanted her to learn that lesson of who are your friends who do you trust um and, and it's time for you to wise up a little bit, you know, because Midge, Midge is, is full of confidence and full of promise and full of determination, but she's got to get a little bit of street smarts because that's the only way you're going to survive in show business. It's, it's, it's a lonely business. It's a hard business. It's, um, it's not, it's not, you know, you're when we've all been on staff writing staffs where you're like best friends with somebody and then the show ends and the staff goes off and you never talk to that person again you see them you know 20 years down the line and you're like hey how you doing and you walk away thinking god we were so close what where where was that it wasn't real and you know her real support her real friendships are Susie. you know her real friend her the real person to uh lean on are is her family is joel you know, th those are the those are the people in her circle that at the end of the day when she's gray and, you know, older and still still adorable, but but, you know, older, she's going to look back and she's going to know who it was who got her and helped her get where she was. And this was the year that she was going to start learning those lessons. Now, in um, just going back to the writing and the directing, you direct most I, I know between the two of you, you directed most of the, all but one episode this past season. Yes. Do you usually direct what you write, what, what you each individually write 
just because it's, you know, it stands to reason. It's easier. You know where you want things placed. Is that usually your rule of thumb between the two of you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no rule actually uh, on on like last year or no, the first year, Amy, it was the yeah, first year. Yeah, I directed year. when you A- Amy directed be- because of scheduling and because of stuff that, you know, we're two people and we have to do, there's a lot to do on the show. I wrote an episode that then she directed and she did a very good job, Anthony. She it, did, was, it was quite fun actually. She, she, did, she did a very good job. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because she did that on Gilmore Girls. The first Gilmore Girls she directed at the end of season one, I actually wrote because she didn't, she, she had to really prep for this. because I had was, to learn how to direct if she, <laughs> very quickly. If she screwed it up. It's, so it's going to be ugly. I actually wrote that. And, 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 but I, I have only written, uh, directed stuff that I've written. And so it's sort of in your head as you, as you write. Although I will say that like, I'll finish a script, I'll get into prepping, I'll go on stage and I'll look at pages that I wrote and I'll think, what the hell was I thinking yeah. when I, when I that, wrote that? That happens a lot. Why did I overcomplicate this? Or why, <laughs> or like, why did I not know that on this day I didn't want to work 13 hours as opposed to 11 hours? So there, there are moments like that, but we, and, and it was interesting seeing Amy direct stuff that I did because sometimes she does stuff that is not the way I had it in my head but it still works. So you, you, you see things happen that are, are, are different and it, they're, it's, it's actually fun to watch just different interpretations of it. Um, but yeah, we, 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 tend, we tend to direct what we write just because it's, it's easier, it's better, it's, it's, it's faster and it's, it's, the fun, it's the fun of the challenge of that too. And, and the challenge of, it really is like, if it's, if it's not good, it's my fault. If it's not, if one of hers is not good, it's her fault. I mean, it's, we, we like, we like that. We like walking that tightrope of there's, there's no one to blame, but, but us on this. So we're, we're, we like the challenge. We also have a really terrific crew and I know a lot of people say that, but they're lying and we're not. Um, Our crew is, it just people they make it possible. It's people, yeah, and it's people you want to be with for many, many, many hours. And and our actors are dreams. And you know, you know, once you once you get to work with these 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 great actors, you you don't you get jealous if somebody else gets to spend time with them. You just you get a little weird. You get a little like, well, you know, it's that should be me. And you kind of go down there and someone else is talking to them and it gets weird. And, you know, I just, I, it's, it's, you're missing out on some fun. You know, this, this work is really, really hard and, and it will, it will kill us. Absolutely. Um, But it's, it's, it's so when you have the right mix and you have the right people to talk to and, and to collaborate with, it's just, there's, there's nothing like it. It's so fun that you just don't want anyone else to have the fun. <laughs> just want Extremely all the fun selfish. for you. Yes, it is. It's very selfish. I'm an only child. I can do that. This episode is brought to you by Succession. The second season of Succession follows the Roy family as their aging father begins to step back from one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world. IndieWire hailed the second season of Succession as the best show on TV. 
Emmy eligible for Outstanding Drama Series, and all other categories. Now, now, Amy, you wrote what one of the episodes you directed and wrote is it's comedy or cabbage episode five. Yes. Two things uh, stand out to me here that I love for you to expound on. First, we see Midge possibly getting romantic with um, Lenny, which is interesting because it's something as audience as the audience member, we, could, you're, uh, I, me feeling, oh, this is bound to happen at some point. It's interesting it happened now. And then it's just some great moments. There's this show, it's very reminiscent of Playboy at Dark, mm-hmm. except right. it's in Miami. Yeah. And then um, this, again, the crazy, the crazy love scene is just a whole love letter to Miami and everything in terms of the colors and the music. Tell me about this. Just Tell me about this particular episode and and everything that went in it. I'm, I know that's a broad question. Well, you know, again, another another perk um, about writing and directing the shows is you get to write things you really, really want to direct, and you get to like an idea in your head, and you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. And this this Miami show just became like I think Tim. Our editor, Tim Street, our great editor, he describes it as, as it's like a fever dream. And I love that description of it because it is so well, it's, it's, it's such a weird episode that several times like Dan and I are like, is this just too weird? Like, is anybody going to like this but us? Because it, it's just, it's odd and it goes in different directions. And, and you know, we, we are influenced by so many things. There's a, there's a great movie called I Am Cuba, um, which is the you know it's the Miami club you know it's 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 a Cuba club in Miami and and it was just such an, and it was a, a movie that our um our uh, Jim McConkie our brilliant Steadicam guru um said with all the shots that you you do you guys do you should watch this movie because this guy was a master of these oneers and I mean, the movie's insane. Like there's so many brilliant shots in this movie that you're just like, you want to kill yourself. Like there's so many other things that you want to do that like, there's not a union in the world that would ever let you do these things because every actor would die. But it, it, it's, it's, it was of such brilliance and, and the feeling was so fabulous that like, we wanted to like, I'm like, oh God, you know, like to have that feeling in this, in this night where it is an unexpected night for the two of them. It's, it's, we've taken them on this journey where he's been sort of, you know, the fairy godmother, the sort of the angel that sort of wafts in and wafts out and, and keeps her going. And then we shifted that balance just a tad at the end of last year where she was the guardian angel, where he needed a little support for himself. And she showed up at the Steve Allen show and she was there for him and brought her umbrella and and it was it was sort of a, a little bit of an evening of the playing field as she gets her sea legs under her she gets a little stronger and and the relationship is really important for us because it is it is a man who looks at her with all of her beauty and all of her adorableness and all of her skirts and he doesn't see a skirt and he doesn't see just a piece of ass. He sees a, a, an equal, and he he's never approached her as anything but a comic. 
and, and somebody who should be supported and somebody who, and, and, and Lenny did that. He, he had that role for, for some people where he was, he was there. He did it for John Rivers. And we always loved that, but you can't deny the fact that they are two very attractive people. And um, Luke Kirby wears that suit very nicely. And, and there is a chemistry, a natural chemistry between the two of them that you can't ignore as, as doing stories about human beings. So in, in taking, deciding to take them out on sort of this wild night of weirdness, um, it felt right to sort of set these moods and include things like the Miami After Dark, which is this crazy, it, it, in itself, it's so weird, this idea that, you know, Hugh Hefner would sort of walk kind of very stiffly from one person to another. And these people had nothing to do with each other. And it was just this random bunch of people in a room and had these conversations. It's a fascinating piece to watch if, if anybody wants to look it up, because it's great. But the idea that he would bring her to this and then sort of include her in it. And it was this, it was a way of them to sort of be playful and yet it was still comedy. And they were still, again, on, going on that equal balance and then to take them to this sort of like, where is this place and the music and the dancing and the, 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 the romance of it all and the, um, the attraction and play into that and then have them face to face with what would that mean if they took that step, next step forward. Um, it just felt like a, a departure for them and it felt like a new level for them and yet it felt like it was also, you would wake up the next morning and it was like a fever dream, like, did it happen? Um, and that's, that's the journey that, that, that this, and it was the beginning of her tour also. Miami was the first, you know, it was, we did Vegas and then Miami and it was sort of supposed to, you know, like really just keep, keep pushing, pushing, pushing. So each place in Vegas, we had to like really recreate that place and Miami felt like this whole other sort of tropical, whimsical, colorful, weird there's rum and it's really hot and everyone's sweaty dan in marvelous radio which you episode seven which you wrote and direct by the way every season alex gives a speech <laughs> that i cry i cry at it just moves me it happened it always happens toward mm -hmm. the end of the season yeah. and she did it again and she yeah. was crying she was near crying in it as right. Susie in episode seven. She did it at two in the morning. But it's, what I love is that, look, I've always, I've always loved and, and respected talent managers and have always seen them as, as architects to careers. And have always, I, I, I've never, I have a very, I have a very um, puffy notion of them because I don't see it as just dollars and cents. I, I think they really I care about where their clients go. And this is such a beautiful ode. I mean, you go more than where Billy Crystal went with Helen Hunt in, in Mr. Saturday Night. You know, when she tells Sophie off, um, I mean, I think you guys are going to do Bernie Brillstein the musical. I mean, let's face <laughs> it. Um, but tell me, tell me about that because it's such a beautiful... You know, your inspirations with this. I, we've talked about this before. Some of it, Sue Mengers, some of it, every, all the legends. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. When Susie tells her off, no, you're wrong, you know, uh, 
you know, you know, this series from the very beginning sort of naturally became the story of the rise of, of two ladies. It obviously was the story of the rise of Mitch Maisel, but it's also the story of, of Susie Meyerson, who was uh, sort of in a state of, of uh, hibernation when Midge met her and Midge sort of woke her up and activated her. And we, and what we're discovering is that Susie is, is in, is an incredible talent who was sort of oppressed by the times and oppressed by uh, things that happened in her past that we might be discovering a little more in season four. And she also, you know, this journey with Shy, where, where Midge it makes a couple of mistakes and, and naively makes some assumptions about what friendships are and what, what job security is. Susie on her journey with Sophie also made a mistake this year in that she, she took a client that she was not passionate about. She was obviously very, very passionate about Midge. She's passionate about the money, but she, yeah, she was, she was passionate about the money and she, she, the depiction of her with Sophie this year is again, what happens to a lot of people in show business that they, that they take a job that they don't really feel, but it, they're being talked into it or the money is something and they often, and these things often end badly and they learn that lesson at the end of, I have to make my choices in life either take the chance of being just passionate about the people I feel about, or do I just go towards where the easy money is? Susie is, has discovered at the end of episode seven that even though she did everything this woman wanted and in, and in fact did the impossible, which is also gonna play into season four, it, 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 she was depending on someone that she knows deep down she could not depend on she was, she was, she was, uh, she just did not have the passion. And I, and at this point, and, and so she also learned some really, really hard lessons. Um, and the tarmac lesson is also in, in episode eight is also her, her lesson as well, because she was distracted by Sophie doing the play and wasn't at the Apollo gig because she had other things that she had to take care of because of problems that she had. And she was spending a lot of time with Sophie. So it's 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 really kind of the parallel journey of 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 two women sort of often on the same path, sometimes diverging, learning the lessons, and always coming back together. And that's what Alex really. Alex is great, but she had some very strong connection to this scene because, like I said, we did it in the fourteenth hour at two in the morning on the streets of Manhattan, and I could have just shot it once. And because she was, she nailed it the first time, but I think I shot it three times. And I think she said at the end of that one, I was like, shall we go again? I go, no, you, you've got it three times. And I it only- It was funny. I was going to ask you how many takes. You already I, answered it. I think just three. She, she, had, a, she had a real- a- Alex's- Passion for the scene. And, quite and something. I, and, and she loves working with Jane. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a long day and, it, and, and you never know what is going to come at the end of a long day, but she, she dug deep down and she, she, she nailed it. Just a couple more questions before we go. Let's talk about Stephanie Sue, man. She is hysterical as may how you found her. What a find. And is she Midge's match? Um, you know, there's a saying, you know, 
when people get divorced, they go and they fall in love again. And people say, people talk, people say, oh, they fell in love with the same person they were with. What do they think? You know, May, you know, when May and Midge meet, it's like, you know, equal fours. Well, that was, really, it was really important. And it was a very hard part to cast um, because, because of that. Um, we saw a lot of very good actresses, but we, but everyone, it was like, it was like, you know, he's a man that, that is still basically in love with his ex-wife. Who's going to turn his head when he's got Midge? And it's not just that Midge is, is, is attractive, but she's smart and she's funny and she's strong and she, you know, she, she challenged Joel, you know, it, 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 she challenged him actually before he was ready to really truly be challenged, which was kind of their downfall. And now he's actually weirdly ready to be challenged by someone strong like Midge. And so when in seeing actresses, we, we had to say, okay, but do we believe that this girl can turn his head away from Midge? And literally one girl came in that we all went, that's it. And it was Stephanie. There was no other discussion. It was, it was because it was always came down to the same question. Who's the one that he could turn to? And you're going to say, yeah, absolutely. You can go that direction, you know? Yeah, it, it, we always kept in mind in the pilot, the way Midge and Joel were, were introduced to the audience. She, she took over the mic, which was basically her first stand-up gig at her own wedding. And then she basically created havoc at the end where everybody was upset, everybody was yelling, except Joel was laughing. And that was our way of showing that Joel, Joel is not a guy who's going, Joel liked who Midge was. Strong. Funny. Chaotic, funny. He always liked that. Unpredictable. Yeah, so we kept in mind that that's the true Joel. He got off, he got off the beaten path of his own volition um, soon, ap soon after that, but once he got back on the path, we, we, we always keep in mind that's, that's who the guy is. He's the guy who's going to laugh his ass off at something outrageous that Midge says or does. Yeah. And so we picked a girl and a character that was going to challenge him and wasn't going to be an easy mark and wasn't just a skirt, but, and somebody who had some mystery to her. And, and we wrote her first scene that introduced her in a movie theater. We did. Because we, we had to write an audition know, scene. They got to get those goddamn movie theaters back up because otherwise we're never going to be able to break another <laughs> scene of Maisel. It's, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. They'll Literally, be open. The They'll day, be open. Right, right before they shut New York down, the weekend before they shut New York down, we were rushing from movie theater to movie theater. And we saw three movies that weekend. And we would have seen four, except IFC closed early. So they closed on a Saturday. So we rushed over to Film Forum. We saw them in Film Forum. And the next day we went to Angelica and we went to the Quad and we got our three movies in. And then Monday morning, boom, everything was closed. So we got it in just in time. So this leads me to my next question. Typically in, in a given season, you're usually shooting during the summer, like late, yeah. late yeah. spring, summer. How did the whole COVID thing how had that impacted you? And has this downtime helped you rethink season four? Like, and, and I have one more, I've got another question after that. Well, you know, we had actually decided um, 
amongst ourselves walking from one theater to another that we were we were going to start a couple of months later this time anyhow because we were um we we're a, a thousand years old and we were just a little tired because the, the last three years have just been like it feels like it's never stopped so we thought like let's take a couple like let, let's push us just a couple of months more um so we didn't go back like we usually do in march and we literally so covid happened and we weren't up yet. So we weirdly, we had already been talking about stories and things like that, but we didn't get shut down. We weren't one of those shows that where we were up and running and then we got shut down. We weren't up and running yet. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's going to affect us more when we come back in August, hopefully, and shooting end of October, because suddenly everyone's going to be wearing a hazmat suit with swabs shoved up their brains every day. And, and, you know, so we're going to be dealing with whatever that's our new science fiction future is. Um, yeah. And, and like everybody else, like we're, we, you know, we have to look at like what's possible. Like last year we started with 800 extras in a, ha in a airplane hangar. We're only doing six. This yeah. Year. We're only doing 600. So we wouldn't be able to do that this year. We would not start there, but you know, we're, we're being careful not to compromise this, the, the series in a way that the audience will notice. So our job is to make sure that people don't watch season four and think, Oh yeah, they shot it during COVID. Okay. You know, they've got to watch season four and not feel like anything was changed or different for them because that is our job. Our job is to make, is to keep the adventure going. And we, you know, it's going to add some days of shooting. Everyone's going through this, you know, it's going to add a little bit more CGI than we've used in the past because that's just the world we live in. We're going to be building more sets, you know, cause we, we are a very location dependent show. Um, cause in New York, you don't have some, you know, you don't have backlots, you know, you, you have your stages and once your stage is full, you gotta go, you gotta go out. So, you know, it's all, unfortunately, it's a, a lot of the burden is falling on Amazon. Um, God love them. They're taking it, taking it like a champ. Um, but our job is to make sure that people just enjoy the show and, and, and get back with the characters that they love and, and don't feel, don't feel the masks. And you've done uh, you've done CGI crowd scenes before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. they just take time. They take time, and, and we're always short of time because we're our shows are our our scripts are eighty plus pages. You know, they're very dense. We do a lot of uh, oneers, which means that you know we do six, seven, eight. We've done ten page oneers, and that means that the first person who screws up, we got to go back and start all over again. So you know, it's just it's the nature of the beast that that we. But the, this year we're, you know, the beast that we, luckily we have an, an unbelievable special effects team. So we feel very confident that everything we want to do, they can accomplish. So that's brilliant. COVID's not stopping the, you know, the aesthetic or how, you know, this is a, this is a show that takes place in New York City. There are crowds on streets in clubs, um, you know, and in Vegas. Yeah. Um, none of that will be compromised. Which, which sounds brilliant. We're not going to sign anything anything today, Anthony. So not until our lawyers look it over. So it, it can't, we're, we're it can't doing be everything compromised. we can. Yeah. It's not it's not fair to the audience, you know. And and, and for what for everything that people are going to have to go through to start shooting again, and it's a lot. Um, the biggest shame would be that we go through all this, and at the end of the day, we have a season that we're like, 
well, it was a pandemic. So, you know, we, we, we got to get to the end of the season and I'll feel really like good about the work and, and proud to put it out there. And we're going to, and everybody seems aligned to make sure that that happens. Last question. And I mean, season four, how bad are things going to be between Midge and Susie? How much did Susie spend? <laughs> well, let's we don't say, have the exact figure. Let's say it was a lot, and let's say um, there's a lot of going to be a little bit of twisty turnies in in how that is all resolved, and and when Mitch finds out about it. So it's it's uh, it's part of our it's part of our dun dun dun. That's, that's, that's part of that. Amy Sherman Palladino, Dan Palladino, thank you so much. Thank you for being a guest on Crew Call today. Well, thank thanks, Anthony. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony Delisandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. David, season two of HBO Succession. Have you seen it? It's about these rich sons and daughters. And their dad, Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox, owns one of the world's biggest media companies, Waystar Royco. They're all fighting for power of the company because one day Logan is going to cede control. Let me tell you something about this drama. Edge of your seat suspense. In season two, Waystar Royco is looking to merge with a more liberal rival media company. But there's this great arc going on with Logan's son, Kendall Roy, played amazingly by Jeremy Strong. He's a guy who has fallen from grace in his father's eyes, but he's slowly making his way back. Succession, for your consideration in all Emmy-related categories.